Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Well, in chapter 8, Luke has been emphasizing Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God specifically on those who are citizens of the kingdom of God, how we come to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And he opened up, speaking of Luke, the uh, the chapter by introducing the three women who traveled along with Jesus, along with the 12 disciples. And they were grateful recipients of the mercy and the grace of Jesus' ministry. And they then joyfully supported him and his ministry as they traveled from town to town. So you might remember that they were recipients and then they were also benefactors. And we, we looked at how we are also, we are recipients of God's mercy. And that ought to cause us in, from gratefulness and love to also be benefactors, to, to benefit others. Last week, the disciples, not understanding the parable themselves of the four soils, Ask Jesus to explain it to them. And we need to understand as we come here, actually, I just, I just skipped a whole paragraph here, so let me go here. Luke then records Jesus adopting a new teaching style uh, using parables. That's what I was talking about. That calls upon the hearer to respond to the truth that Jesus is teaching. However, we learn that parables both convey truth, but also they reveal truth. They hide it. Spiritual truth can only be understood through the intervention of the Holy Spirit who illuminates the mind that has been darkened and corrupted by sin. And we have to recognize that that's the biblical default position in our hearts. It's not that we want God. It's not that we seek after God. It's not that we would choose God left in our own state. The Holy Spirit must intervene in our lives and in our hearts. Without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, our minds are blinded by the God of this world and we are incapable of comprehending the truths of Scripture. Last week, the disciples, not understanding the parable themselves, asked Jesus then to explain. And Jesus pointed out that there are many things that keep people from becoming authentic citizens of the kingdom of God. In other words, they may hear but it doesn't mean that they always comprehend and understand what God is teaching. He talked about the hardened heart that's not receptive to the gospel at all. Or the shallow heart that seems first responsive, but then withers in the midst of troubles and suffering. There's that distracted heart, that that heart that's more concerned with the cares of this world and money and all that the world has to offer. And eventually they reject Christ in their actions, in their minds, even while they may be attending church, maybe serving as deacons and elders, pastors, evangelists. But then there's the receptive heart. That's the heart that embraces the gospel and produces much fruit. So that was the parable, as you may recall, that we saw last week. If you did not get that, I encourage you to go on our website and you can find that and listen to it. I think it'll be beneficial to you and helpful. But as we move on to the next passage in chapter 8, we want to answer, consider the question of, how do I know that the soil of my heart is good? Or put it another way, how can I be assured that my profession of faith is authentic? How can I know that my faith is strong enough to endure through suffering? 
How can I protect myself from being distracted and wooed by the cares of this world? And that's why we always talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves, for we're to test and examine whether or not we are in the faith. Well, Jesus is going to answer those questions with another parable that we're going to look at here in a minute, as well as using an object lesson with his family. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We pray that you help open up our minds and hearts. I know, Lord, with the less hour of sleep, sometimes we can be a little bit groggy, hard to listen, but, but this is one of those ones we want to listen to. We want to, want to do more than listen. We want to be active listeners so that we may respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. For your word is truth. Your words are life. So be with us during this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. And now as we get to verse 16, Jesus now begins to add some commentary and an application to his teaching on the parable of the soils. This is really a continuation. Now remember one of the main purposes of the parable, parable is to call people to response. It was to, to change behavior, to change their hearts, to respond in the same way, by the way, as I'm standing here this morning, I am teaching and preaching for you to respond. Hence why you hear me say that you may respond to the Holy Spirit. At the end of the message, I'm going to do the same thing. Pause, uh, uh, consider, pray, and respond. You're here this morning to respond to the declaration of God's word. That's why we are gathered here together. You see, the parables and the teaching in God's word is more than just information transmission. And that many times, that's what you want to do. Yeah, I hope Rob teaches us something that I've never heard before. Oh, that's an interesting take. And, and that's what we are. We have itchy ears. Give me something that no one else has. And let me tell you, if you ever hear anything new from this pulpit that probably has never been said before, a new insight, then you probably need to question your pastor because he's probably not getting into it biblically. And so there's just a warning there. But it's not about just information transmission. It's about life transformation. We should, when the word of God is preached, something needs to change in our hearts. And that's exhibited by our behavior. As pointed out last week and in our, and in our review, Jesus teaches that out of the four soils, only one is counted as good. Only one is able to produce fruit. In the same way, many may profess Christ and may even display some fruit only to fade away and be proven not to be authentic. And last week, I gave you those words of warning that our prayer as elders is why we shepherd and protect the flock is so that none of you may seem, may fall away or seem to be uh, authentic. But yet when you stand before Christ, you are not. That's our concern. That should be a concern for you, for your own life, for your spouse, for your children, for your family. But what does one do with this truth as we think of the four soils and only one is the good soil? How should we respond to that? It might lead us to say, well, you know what? Uh, it doesn't matter if, if, if I'm only going to be good only you know, 25% of the time. Well, maybe I shouldn't be praying for people. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be going out and sowing seed. It, it just seems so worthless. How does it change our approach to listening, reading, and applying God's word, the seed in the parable, to our lives? Well, to help them to respond and apply the parable so that you and I may not fall away, so that we can make sure that our heart is good 
Jesus pronounces three sayings here. Now we're going to go through those. Now the first saying is another parable that conveys a common sense purpose of a lamp in verse 16. So look with me at verse 16. Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. But he puts it on a stand so that those who enter it may see the light. Now at those times, remember, there's no electrical bulb. So they're talking about lighting a candle. And in it, you wouldn't put a jar in which you couldn't see. It's common sense. A lamp is, once it's lit, is designed to give off light. To aid in seeing in the dark, especially in a day and age where there was no street lamps, there was no flashlights, there was no phones that you could hold up, no lighters that you can light up. You wonder how they ever did concerts back then. It would make no sense in our context for you and I to turn on a lamp and then put it in a closet or put a dark blanket over it. No, we put lamps and light fixtures in a place that will do the most good, maybe even very prominently. We put the best bulbs in our lamps so for illumination. It'd be foolish to do otherwise. The second saying pronounces a truth that serves as a warning. Read silent with me in verse 17. As Jesus says, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. You need to pay attention. This is a verse that you need to listen to this morning. Jesus is putting them on notice that everything that you have thought, everything that you have said, and everything that you have done in your life will be on full display in the judgment. It doesn't matter how dark or who you're with and how secret you were, it will be on full display. There are no secrets on the day of judgment. You and I cannot hide from the truth. Later in Luke chapter 12, we will see this probably hopefully next year. Jesus warns, I believe it might be here on the monitor, he says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. You think you're getting away with sin, but let me tell you, there is a day of judgment, a day of accounting. He says, therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. The apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth, instructing them not to pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, the motives of why we did some things. Even the good that we do, the, the motivation of why we do them will be made known. He says what you have, uh, what you have uh, he goes on to say um, that each one will receive his commendation from God. And in Timothy, the apostle warns, the sin of some people are conspicuous. Other ways, uh, it's known, you can see it, it's well known. Going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. The Bible tells us, pointing to man once to die, then after this, the judgment. The use of parables may conceal truth from those with darkened hearts and deaden their sins. However, God's ultimate purpose is not to hide the truth, but to make it known. So the Bible says that man is without excuse. The truth is known. We ignore the truth of God's word at our own peril. Let me say that again. So you're listening and you hear. We ignore the truth of God's word 
at our own peril. We have people today that are ignoring the truth of God's word. It will be made manifest. There will be a day of reckoning. Our actions and our thoughts will eventually be made known and our profession of faith will one day be evaluated through the fire of God's judgment. Now, the third saying is also a warning with a call to pay attention. Look with me at verse 18. He says, take care then how you hear. Now, when you see Jesus saying something like that, you probably want to underline it and say, okay, this is one of those truly, truly, verily, verily. Hey, may I have your attention? He says, take care then how you hear. What is he talking about? How you hear the word of God. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. In his commentary, John MacArthur writes that this warning means that one's response to the light in this life is crucial. Because at the throne of judgment, there will be no opportunity to embrace truth that was formally spurned. Now think of that. Is once at the judgment seat, whether by death or by the, by the Christ coming again, is there will be no second chance in that regard. Those who scorn the light of the gospel now will have all light removed from them in eternity. We must remember that. But the promise is that for those who embrace the truth of God's word, will receive an eternal inheritance and will forever abide with God. Theologian Thomas Schreiner remarks that Jesus stresses the need for the faithful obedience to the preached word. He goes on to note that receptive and obedient listening will lead to increased understanding. But rejection of the truth will lead to increased incomprehension of the word of God. Their hearts will be hardened. Their, their minds will be darkened. So what you and I learn is that as recipients of the mercy of God, we are also called to be benefactors, those who out of gratitude serve God and others with joy. We are to serve intentionally, cheerfully, generously, and sacrificially of our money, of our time, of our energy. All that is within us, these are things that we are to give back. And part of this serving is indiscriminately sowing the seed praying that the Holy Spirit will prepare individual hearts to receive the gospel with joy and bear fruit. As those whose hearts have been opened to the truth of God's word, you and I, we have three responsibilities and obligations. And this is where we want to go. This is the heart of the message. God is saying, because you are of the good fruit, the good soil, you have three obligations and responsibility. Number one is you and I have a responsibility and obligation to proclaim the word of God. And that goes back to what I said. You and I are to indiscriminately, meaning that we don't pick and choose who we share the gospel to. We share it with everyone. You and I have a responsibility to do so. And you say, but what if I'm going through, uh, you know, the fast food restaurant through the drive-thru or going through Sprouts or Walmart, I don't have time to talk to everyone. Well, grab tracks. That's why we have them on the back. You go through the drive, you hand them money, they give you your food, you say, hey, can, can I give you this? 
You're going through and you're paying for your groceries. Hey, could you read this when you have a break time? Look at their name tag and as you walk away, be with Brad, be with, be with Joanna, be, be with whatever, whomever, that they may read that. Even if they discard it, maybe someone else will pick it up and read it. But you and I have a responsibility and an obligation to proclaim the word of God. In the parable today, the lamp is the gospel proclamation. That's what cannot be hidden. Jesus has come to provide all that God requires. He has come to seek and save the lost, to redeem us from our sins, and to reconcile us to God. The Great Commission calls us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You say, well, that's the pastor's job. That's the elder's job, the deacons or the saints. No, that is each and every one of our jobs. And I know it's difficult for many of you, and you are being patient with us, and I appreciate that, that we do not have a children's program for those that are older. And I hear you, and I, I wish we had one like that. At this point, we're not able to due to so many things, mainly because we just don't have the workers. And you see, but how will my kids hear about the Bible stories that I grew up? How will they learn about God? Well, God has already answered that when he gave them to you, their parents. You are their first responsibility. Whether or not we have a, a kicking, you know, uh, a children's program does not relieve you of that responsibility in the first place. Thank you. And so you and I are to proclaim the word even at our workplace. And I know that can be difficult. Sometimes uh, you may work in a place like Brandon where, where you're able to hear it and they want to hear it. But you might have worked at a place like Landon where, boy, that was, no, you do not do that. So you have to be a little bit more creative. You got to talk about the princess lays the dragon wins the girl because that's every theme of their movie, right? So you, you can do that in such a way. I know, speaking of Gary, he has had many times where he's been able to pray with a client using that as a way to proclaim the truth. We've already learned earlier in our studies of Luke gospel that Jesus came to be light to the Gentiles. In Luke 2, we had read how Simon, or Simeon, excuse me, rejoiced when he saw Jesus as a young child, saying, he's a light, a revelation to the Gentiles. He's the glory of your people. And we need to proclaim Jesus. The apostle Paul, who was blinded by the glory of Christ when he was confronted with the gospel, would later proclaim, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation. Speaking of Paul, Paul who once was a persecutor, a killer of Christians, became a light to shine the gospel. See, you are that lamp. You are that light. But many of you, you've put a, yourself in a jar. You put yourself in a closet. You have, you have draped a blanket over you because you don't want people to know that you're a Christian. Let me warn you, the Bible says, be not ashamed. If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. Near the end of his life, while speaking to King Agrippa, Paul declares... When he says that I have this help that comes from God. That we would claim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And what was that light? That Christ must suffer, be dead, and rise again. Basically, this is captured in the truth of the children's songs. This little light of mine. You know that song, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine. Hiding under a bushel, what? No, 
I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Or maybe you and your child of the 90s, you remember the newsboys who sung a song called Shine, saying, make him wonder what you got, speaking about the world. Make him wish that they were not on the outside looking bored, speaking of let them see your light so that they wish that they could be part of the church, be part of what God is doing. Let it shine before all men. Let them see your good works and then let them glorify the Lord. That's what he's called us to do. Now, you and I know from the parable of the soils is that not everyone that we proclaim the word of God will respond positively. And even those who respond positively may not endure. They may accept it with joy. They may visit you, come with you to church. They may even become a member, but eventually maybe they may walk away. They might not even understand. Yet still we are called to proclaim the truth of God's Word. John MacArthur says the fact that Christ taught mysteries and parables was not to suggest that his message was meant for elite disciples or that it should be kept secret. No, a lamp is not lit to be hidden, but must be put on a lampstand where its light will reach the furthest. Still, only those with eyes to see it will see it. My question is, how bright is your lamp? Are you hiding it? Are you trying to dim it? Are you proclaiming the word of God? The second obligation responsibility that you and I have is to listen to the word of God. It's not enough just to accept Christ, make a profession of faith, but you and I are to continue throughout our life to listen, to read, to comprehend God's word. As mentioned last week, the word of God is powerful. In Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, I believe this may be on the monitor. You ought to underline this. You ought to read this first, memorize it. For the word of God is living And it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and attention to the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must be of account. Let me tell you, what that is telling us is that if you truly want to know who you are and what's going in your life, then you need to listen and read the word of God. For it will cut through all the noise. It will cut through all the the voices that you are hearing. It will cut to the real you. Many times the person that we fool the most and the best is ourselves, right? We figure we got it all worked out. While your spouse and others are saying, man, he is just sinking and doesn't know it. Timothy tells us that all scripture, scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That we may be made complete, be made perfect. Turn, if you would, please, to the book of Proverbs, middle of your Bible, right after Psalms. And while you're doing that, I have a question for you. For I wonder today, who has your ear? Who are you listening to? Who do you go to for counsel and for advice? Now, there's not anything inherently wrong with seeking advice from others. But in the end, truth is found in the word of God. Many times we are going to friends who are unsaved. We are going to philosophers who do not know Christ. We're going to other people and we're seeking counsel for our life, but yet they do not know the word of God. Look with me at verse 1 of Proverbs 1. 
This is the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And he's telling us why he's writing this, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity. Whoa, I just saw the word equity in there. That's interesting. If you want to know how to create an equal and equity, a society of equity, let's look in the word of God. Look at verse four. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain a guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. Look here, verse 7, underline this one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Why do we go anywhere else for advice and counsel and ignore the very word of God? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. But look at verse 8. Now Solomon is getting very personal here. He's writing this to his children. He says, hear my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Right there, fathers, mothers, you need to give teaching and instruction. But it can't be grounded in Aesop fables, Disney moral movies. It must be found in the word of God. Thank you. For they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. What are you putting on your children's? How are you decorating them? How are you dressing them? You cannot do it, though, if you yourself do not listen to the word of God. And let me tell you, if I truly want to know how good of a Christian you are, I just need to ask your children. Because they'll tell you, they'll tell me everything. We have a responsibility to proclaim the word of God. You and I have a responsibility to gather together and listen, read the word of God. Now we're doing that several ways. One, you're doing that today. That's why we say forsake not the assembly of yourself. Why? Because we come together to hear God's word proclaimed. Not Rob's wisdom, but God's word. Uh, We meet together on, on Fridays so that we can then develop and listen to God's word and listen to each other, godly people, as we go through life. We come together for ACC, adult core class, so that we may learn to think biblically, acquiring the skill of godly living, wisdom, godly wisdom. We, we have our men's breakfast and other things for those very purposes. My goal is that when you need advice, that you need counsel, that you're, if you're a young lady, you're going to an older woman, one of our older women. And vice versa, men, same way. I pray that all the counselors and wisdom you need is right here. It may be marriage, it may be financial, it may be just what you might be dealing with in life, but the counsel in God's word. All of you are to be biblical counselors. But that only happens when we come and commit to reading God's word. That hints another way why we're asking you to listen to it with us each week. You should be listening to John chapter 9, I believe was today. Great one, Jesus healing the blind man. I don't know who he is. Who do you think he is? He finally asked the religious leaders. But we need to listen to the word of God, not just hear it. And you, and you get it's, it's more than just hearing it and letting it come out, doing your duty. But it's listening, which leads us into the third one. Is we have a responsibility and obligation to obey the word of God. That tells me whether or not you have listened, whether you have heard what God's word has. Probably the tragedy that happens every Sunday is a pastor comes and opens up the word of God and says, the Bible says God has declared. 
People say amen. People have a smile. They tell the pastor what a great message. And they get in the car and start fighting with their spouses and their children. They'll go back and just do whatever they're doing because they have the rest of the day. It has no input in your life. The word of God never comes into your mind in your battle of sin. You and I must listen, but we must also follow through and obey. It's not enough to be a hearer of the word of God. We are called to obey its commandments. Jesus warned that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, right? I want that. We all want that. But he goes on to say, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. You can proclaim God's word. You can listen to God's word. But if you do not obey it, you will not inherit eternal life. And we talked about this earlier uh, and I don't know if it was Brandon had mentioned it when he says, uh, Jesus says, uh, these people come to him and says, Lord, Lord, you know, we've cast out demons. We've healed people. But what does Jesus say? Depart from me, I never knew you. Again, he didn't, he didn't quabble with what they did. Yeah, they did those things, but they never obeyed him. They did it out of selfish ambition. They did it out of their own desires. The Apostle Paul, or Peter, excuse me, declares that we must obey God rather than men. That's becoming very clear today. You will be faced with that choice sooner rather than later. Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. The difference between the wise man and the foolish man was what? Obedience. They both heard, but only one obeyed. Let's hear. Let me give you a note. You may want to write this down. You've heard it before. I'll give you a mathematical equation. A changed heart equals changed behavior. I know that's a hard concept. But changed behavior equals, no, well, equals changed heart. So yeah, both sides of the equation. But really, it's a changed heart equals a changed behavior. We must obey God. The heart that has been truly born again, the profession of faith that is genuine, the mark of authenticity of the citizen of the kingdom of God is the one who proclaims, listens, and obeys the word of God. One young lady named Morgan tweeted out this week, and please listen as I, as I, as I, as I share this, what she wrote. It really caught me. She says, do you call yourself a Christian because you go to church and pray sometimes? Or do you call yourself a Christian because you surrendered your life to Jesus and seek a radical change of your heart? Good question. We're to proclaim, to listen, and obey. Now, to help hammer this point down even further, Luke records the time when Jesus' family came to visit him. Look with me at Luke chapter 8, and we'll continue in verse 19. He sets up, this seems to come very quickly after this scenario, as he uses the word then. Luke writes, then his mother, speaking of Jesus and his brothers, came to him. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. They couldn't get in. And he was told, hey, your, your mother and your brother are standing outside and they're desiring to see you. Now, you know, my family wants to see me. Come on in. But look at verse 21. But Jesus answered them. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and what? Do it. After the first reading, this seems kind of harsh and disrespectful and unloving to his family, doesn't it? 
It's even hard imagining Jesus uttering such words about his family, especially about his mother Mary. However, you and I must realize that Jesus is using his family as an object lesson to teach his disciples about the importance of listening and obeying. Yes, Jesus had brothers and sisters. We must recognize that. I just want to, some may say, well, he didn't have brothers and sisters. Yes, he was. Now, however, we must recognize that this is not meant to diminish or disrespect his family. But what it is doing is that the father is identifying those who listen and obey as his children. Obeying Christ is evidence of salvation, of being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, family is important, is it not? All of us love our families. It's the first people that we learn from. We trust them. We love them. We care for them. Uh, you know, and that's important for us. As we see here, Jesus is the eldest brother, assuming that Joseph has passed away. And by this time, many believe Joseph has died at this time. And so Jesus would have became the patriarch of that family. To them, Jesus' place was actually back in Nazareth running his, his father's business. He's the one that's responsible for the whole household. Yet he is called away for a greater purpose. Now you could also imagine that his, mothers, his mother, his brothers and sisters were confused about Jesus' decisions, his actions, and his directions. We saw that in Mark. They thought he had gone crazy. They thought he was out of his mind. Remember that? You're out of your mind, Jesus. What's wrong with you? Instead of taking care of the family business, he has abandoned it for a different father's business. Surely they expected Jesus to give them an audience once they arrived, right? Even the crowd expected it. Yet Jesus instead replied in a very different and shocking way. Now in Matthew's gospel of this account, Jesus says, well, who's my mother and sister? Or who's my, my mother and my brothers? And that's a very curious question. The answer to me seems actually simple. Probably answering anyone would say, well, that's simple. That's the woman who gave birth to you, who taught you, who, taught, who, who, who raised you up. His brothers and sisters were those who share the family blood and name. The ones he grew up with, played with, and did life together with. Yet Jesus points out a spiritual truth that probably shocked them all. As he says, my brother, my, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now Jesus is not abandoning his earthly family. God's not calling you to do that either. But he's expanding his family He's also clarifying who belongs to his family. All who listen, obey are not only citizens of the kingdom of God, but they also become part of the family of God. And please listen with me here. God is creating a new family based not on human blood ties, but those bought by the blood of Christ. A family based not on human constructs, but those chosen by God. The family God consists of a redefinition of what kinship is that's not grounded in physical descent. Pastor John MacArthur writes that Jesus is making a decisive and comprehensive statement on true Christian discipleship. Such discipleship, which means proclaiming, listening, and obeying, involves a spiritual relationship that transcends the physical family and is open to all those empowered by the Spirit of God to come to Christ in repentance and faith and enabled to live a life of obedience to God's Word. Hence why we say that, that you are here, that you are doing family together. When you and I do an event together, 
That's a family chore. When we're having the men's breakfast or the small group, that, that's a family gathering. And I pray that you see that. That this is more than just an organization. We don't throw off family very well, but we do throw off church. But you need to see that this church, this is your family. This is where God has put you and we're to do life together. <clears throat> the family of God consists of those who have repented from their dead works and put their trust in Christ. There are those that have been led by the Spirit, those that love and care for other believers. There's an old song called The Family of God. It says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain and cleansed by the blood. I'm joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, speaking of the earth, from a part of the family, the family of God. I pray today, if your profession of faith is that I'm part of the family of God, that you are a citizen of the kingdom, then you have some family obligations. You have some citizen obligations and responsibility. Proclaim the word of God. Be the light. Don't hide it, my friend. Listen to God's word. Continue to grow, to develop and learn what God has called us to do. And number three, obey it. Live it out. In that way, God is glorified and our good is accomplished. Would you commit to that this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask Landon to come up as well as the worship team. Again, here comes that point where I say we want to pause. We want to consider what God's word has said today. Proclaim, listen, obey. Now would you pray and say, Lord, how do you want me to respond? In what way do I need to proclaim? What, what, what is preventing me from doing that? In what ways am I struggling listening to your word and, and not obeying it? Have I committed to a, to a habit of listening, of reading and applying your word? It may be that today. Whatever it may be, respond to the Holy Spirit's word. Manny, would you come and close us with a prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.